I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine. This is where we change the script, reverse our roles, and celebrate that supporting others means others may just support us too. Never too self-absorbed to offer help, yet never too proud or ashamed to ask for it ourselves. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, in a rare reverse interview celebrating the launch of my new book, my friend, artist and author Jenny O'Dell. It's not just that the mindset is cruel, it's also so narrow. The complexity that is already available in humanity like and in the physical world, why would you be so disdainful of that and not celebrate it instead? Jenny is going to interrogate the premise and purpose of survival of the richest escape fantasies of the tech billionaires through the lens of her own brilliant investigations into why we do what we do with technology, including her own work of literary genius, How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. Jenny O'Dell is a multidisciplinary artist and writer from Oakland whose work explores the way that attention or lack of attention leads to real shifts in perception at the level of the everyday. As a great favor to me, she's kindly agreed to divert some of her attention to me and my new book. And this actually, it just seemed like the best way for me to share what I'm trying to do with it with all of you. Typically, whenever I'm feeling guilty about talking about my own stuff, I end up screwing something up. And I did hear, too, I selected the wrong microphone during this conversation. But Luke has done what he can to fix it so you can hear uh, what I think is ultimately a great conversation. So here's my friend, the great Jenny O'Dell. The whole point of Team Human was for me to use whatever kind of 
fame value I had at the end of my career to platform other people because I was kind of bored of my own stuff too. <laughs> like, let's platform others. But then I thought, as long as I had a book coming out, what if I used Team Human to platform me and enlisted someone else to do a kind of reverse interview? Yeah. Thus you. Because when I can't even find it now, your blurb that you did for my book was the best thing ever because <laughs> it said what I actually meant, you know? And it was like, oh my God, someone got, because everybody reads Survival of the Riches and they think, oh, doomsday, this is so yeah. sad. And you wrote, I'll read what you wrote. Survival of the Richest is more than a primer on a soulless worldview pervading all aspects of life, defying fantasies of escape from each other, from earthliness, from earth. Rushkoff offers something at once more realistic and more imaginative, mutual regard, responsibility, and flourishing. In doing so, he mounts an impassioned defense of everything and everyone marked expendable in the fanatical pursuit of a blank slate. And I was like, I cried out <laughs> loud. I, cried. I was like, someone, well, probably because you got to the end of it. Someone got it that I'm a cheerleader of humans. I am on yeah. team human. These guys are not scary to me so much as laughable. They're crazy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she got it. But then again, you when you look at the books you write about, you know, I mean, at the end of my book, I'm talking about people doing the lying down and, and, and leaving, you know, taking oh, yeah. back their time. Yeah. You've been on this. Yeah. You've been on this since the beginning. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because I, I think, I don't know, it was really wonderful for me to read it having grown up here the other mm. thing you know like I grew up in Cupertino and I think were your parents like Apple employees uh no my mom worked for HP but that campus was demolished and that is where Apple is now oddly enough the spaceship the big campus circular fort yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a strange thing and then my dad worked for Tandem which I don't know what happens to Tandem but they had kind of like boring tech jobs I would say this is like pre-startup right but it did mean that a lot of the people I went to high school with ended up working in tech and there was already in school, there was kind of like an ethos that is still very familiar to me. And I don't know if it's because of that or that I associate it with a physical place rather than like an app or something. Like mm. I've always seen this worldview. It's just kind of arbitrary. Like that's why I appreciate it being called the mindset is because mm. it's like, it's also like a mindset. And I feel like it's, if you don't, if you're not super familiar with it, or if you don't like think about it that much, you can start to just accept it or like take it for granted. Right. I mean, that's part of the point of that, of the whole book was to say, okay, if I name this mindset, that was actually, I used the word mindset once. And then the editor was like, oh no, you got to go back <laughs> and make that the organizing thread. And yeah. he was so right because once you do that, then it's like, okay, when we hear Musk or someone talking on Twitter or YouTube, we can go, ah, there's mindset, or we can recognize in ourselves when it's like, oh, I better get an Amazon doorbell so that people can't get in my house. It's like, oh, I'm succumbing to the mindset. Yeah. You know, and once you can label it and box it in, it's like, oh, that's just mindset. Don't worry. That's mindset. Just leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's also, I feel like it's a kind of like a cluster of things. Like I've been thinking a lot about, I think like, especially during the pandemic, I was like thinking about why people believe things right or maybe it was before that maybe it was like QAnon that was making me think about this but yeah. like it's like why why do people believe certain things and it seems like you know like that starter pack meme no it's like I just remember my college students like when I was teaching they were really into this 
it's like a meme format. If like the Silicon Valley starter pack would be like Allbirds shoes, right? Like your company branded fleece, like AirPods. I don't know. I, this was like a right. while back, so my starter right. pack, like you know, memory is out of date. But I feel like there's like starter packs of beliefs where it's like if you believe this, you're very likely to believe this. Right. It's like a starter pack on the one hand and almost like an uh, algorithmic checklist on the other. But yeah, yeah it's like it, back in the day, it was like the preppy handbook was kind of the initial. <laughs> they had a cover and it's like, this is the things a preppy has. This kind of backpack, this kind of shirt, these kind of yeah. shoes. You know, So now there's a mindset starter pack of like yeah. the apocalypse is coming, a belief that technology, that technological solutions will work, a fast love of Burning Man psychedelic trips. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I feel like I've met people or I know people who don't fit in neatly to that. And I find those people like really interesting and like I really like to talk to them and it's like refreshing, but mm-hmm. it shows by contrast, you know, the alternative to that is someone who just swallows the whole thing, right? You know, I watched right. American Psycho for the first time last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> like, That's interesting thing to see right before this conversation, too. Yeah. Like, and I kind of went in cold. Like, I didn't actually know that much about it. And uh, just, like, the scenes of, like, you know, he's listing the products that he uses. And there's that scene where he's, like, peeling the face mask off mm-hmm. and talking about how he has, like, no identity. And he just wants to fit in and how everyone keeps getting mistaken for each other because they're all the same. I don't know. It's kind of like an interesting model for that kind of like of the starter pack of like the like this is your worldview and it it dictates like how you see other people, like whether yeah. you see them as like being alive or not and sort of like your entire value system. Like everything is reflected through this view. I remember thinking about that back when I was in college. You know, I went, unfortunately, in some ways, I went to Princeton and it was kind of a bastion of young Republicans, whatever. You know, like parents were, you know, new kind of Jewish immigrants, you know, Douglas, get into Harvard, yeah, yeah. Yeah, become a doctor, <laughs> you know, so, all right, all right, you know. So I, I went, but I felt by like sophomore, junior year, I felt like people were almost like shopping for an identity that they were going to then bring with them. So, so I'm going to be the guy who walks around with an umbrella. Or I wear these kinds of shirts. (laughs) So I have these and I'm going to be a journalist and do this. I'm going to be a stockbroker. And it's like, wait a minute. Why can't you be a stockbroker who also goes to Grateful Dead shows? Or why can't you be an artist who's a total staunch conservative Christian? Why do you have to then feel, you know, why do you have to be so consistent with the profile of, of the identity you're choosing? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I think it's probably only gotten worse with social media because that's kind of the implicit goal is to like appear coherent. Right. (laughs) Right. What you end up with, though, is a bunch of people basically cosplaying, you know, (laughs) these different, everyone's in drag uh, to some extent. I mean, that's kind of, I was wondering, like, I mean, you've talked to these people or like, you know, the very beginning of your book, you're like in these meetings, basically, right? With people who are sound like quite serious about the scenarios that they're imagining but I sometimes I wonder like do you feel like they really believe that or is this like or is this something that you put on you know what I mean I know I kept wondering because that was when you know and I asked them I said look you guys are billionaires are we playing or is this real (laughs) right and then one of them said well you know we are actuarial whatever so there's a 20% chance of a civilization ending event in the next 50 years. So we're dedicating 20% of our capital to that. 
Oh, so do you think it's just like a financial calculation for them? In a way. I mean, well, that's what they, and then, but then as I pursued, okay, so 20% is going to that. I get that. And then as part of your preparations, you're inviting anarcho-syndicalist media theorist to come and talk to you about your bunker strategies. I mean, the book, I called it Marxist media theorist because I yeah. figured anarcho-syndicalism is going to be too hard to <laughs> too explain specific, to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like I only learned it myself when I was accused of being wanted to talk. I get back to the hotel and looked it up on Wikipedia and I'm like, ooh, that actually sounds good. You know, cottage industries network together. And it just sounded good. Very kind of pre-crypto, cypherpunky worldview. But why come to me? And that's when it was like, oh, this is the way you guys kind of entertain yourselves and the way you, uh, the way they justify doing the awful shit that they do. So it's like they want to have retreats. They want to isolate. They want to create whatever they are, you know, virtual reality simulations to them. If there's a strong possibility of a big bad thing happening, then they are justified in leading their alienated, isolationist, individualist lives. Yeah. And why I see. why yeah. should Bezos build Blue Origins? I mean, what is that? I remember when Stephanie Rule from MSNBC, who I usually really love as a journalist, she go went to the Blue Origins launch. And, you know, Jeff Bezos comes back and she's like gushing, like, oh my God, this is so, and I'm thinking, what did he prove now that one dude has enough money to do what we were able to do collectively 60 years ago? So that to me is the very best argument on why this individualistic, you know, insane accumulation of wealth is, is dumb because it's slower. It's more primitive than what we could do. But if the world is ending, if something really bad is happening, then that's ample justification for Peter Thiel to build his his compound in New Zealand. And if COVID is coming, it's ample justification for us to use Amazon Prime. I mean, everyone wanted to use Amazon Prime. We just felt too guilty because we understand yeah. what it is. So it's like, oh, yeah. if there's a plague? Wow, of course I'm going to use yeah. Grubhub right, and DoorDash. Right, right. Whatever. Yeah, that part of your book was so real. Like, I mean, the it's like further in, but you're like, you know, did this, did COVID just like sort of allow people to follow the impulses that they already had? Like, oh, well, I guess, yeah, I have to have everything delivered now. And just completely like, I mean, it's horrible, right? Because it was like this time where you were justified in fearing all strangers, sort of right. in a way. But yeah, I mean, I also, I feel like some of it also, like, I wonder if some of it's just like, you know, for someone like Bezos, like just boredom because mm. I feel like I, I have a friend he's a life coacher for children of very wealthy people in China okay like that's my best description of what he does right. but he was saying that like there's sort of this thing that happens when enough people like they reach the American psycho level let's say right like they all have the same car they all you know have the same signifiers of wealth which become meaningless so they have to like ascend to another level in in order to distinguish themselves and like that tips them over oftentimes into like culture, like or philosophy, like wanting to have a school established in their right. school of philosophy or yeah, like going to outer space or like these things where it's like, I need something that like almost money can't buy, but it can buy, right. but almost can't buy, you know, like only for me, only I can afford this. And also just like this, just sheer boredom. If you're having everything done for you and you don't have, sort of have genuine interactions with the world, like you're, you probably really want that, like some I don't know, like sense of that you're doing something. I don't know. 
Right. And then each one of them kind of has a slightly different brand, but they got to stay on brand for the category of human they are, the ultra tech billionaire mindset person, but they have a thing. So like Peter Thiel's is this Rene Girard philosophy thing. Yeah. You know, his zero to one orders of magnitude idea, you know, or for, for Zook, it's like Augustus Caesar and the haircut and this pretension that he understands history. And I'm like, read to the end of that fucking story, dude. It doesn't, it doesn't go well. <laughs> you know, but he's got the haircut and he's, you know, got the, he's trying to make his, you know, face look like the, uh, uh, one of those Roman sculptures or something. So each one of them, or Musk has his own, you know, now he's that sort of replacement troll in chief. You know, he took over from Trump and, oh, poor Musk though. And then I feel like these guys don't actually have personalities anymore that they've jumped into the standing wave of culture and just sort of embody it but they're gone they're like disappeared like it reminds me of in the bible there's this moment where when god says to moses oh pharaoh i hardened his heart so as if pharaoh's gone pharaoh's not there he's just playing his role now that these guys are so programmed or self-programmed into their they've so bought that identity that starter kit you know that's yeah. software stack yeah. You know? yeah 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 that's their stuff yeah yeah and it's it's totally like a filter that everything passes through i don't know if you remember and how to do nothing like i have the martin buber sort of uh-huh. moment with like i thou and i it and it's like i feel like the mindset is very is like a hundred percent i it right like almost even to your own relationship to yourself like you're in it well that's interesting that is you know i'm just I- there's this phrase that's always bothered me or, or, or confused me that they use a lot. Self-sovereignty. And yeah. self-sovereignty is what you're saying. It is I, it. I am king of that person, me. Yeah. I'm self-sovereign, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm not just going to objectify women and wish that they were robot, you know, robot women instead of real, which they do. You know, mm-hmm. they would rather be with an Oculus, a lighter Oculus Rift, having sex with a virtual person who's not going to complain or have needs or anything than real, right? Everybody's that objectified. They're workers, they're customers, but but you're right that I it goes when it goes all the way to them to themselves, then they might as well just upload their consciousness to a, a chip or something. They're not they're not human anymore. Yeah. And that idea, like the uploading, I, I've always had such a problem with that, just on a purely just a purely logical level of like I've been thinking a lot about memory because, you know, the book that I just finished the draft of is about time, but I've just been interested in memory for a long time. And I also have, you know, had the privilege of living in the same area for my entire life. So this, the whole Bay Area is very kind of storied for me. Like it, everything has these layers that like, you know, mm. I can, if I want to experience my twenties, I just take the ferry to San Francisco. That's it's over mm. there. Like I can walk around, all of those memories come back. Are those memories in my head? Yes sort of but like similar to writing like I really need that kind of like substrate for my access to those memories and like that's not a new observation like but you know it's just like if you think about how distributed like you're just on that level there's so many other levels right like identity and sort of like the way your identity is even formed like in contact with other people and things but just on just on the level of memory it's like I don't know. I don't think that like my memory is alone contained in my head. So if I uploaded myself, like where do those go? Well, right. It's this reduction of memory to data as if our memory is like a computer's memory. 
because the yeah. whole internet, everything, all of it, even processing is based in memory. It's RAM. Random access memory is where that takes place. So we end up in this memory environment, but it's a digital stored memory environment that's not, I don't think, even analogous to consciousness and the way human memory, it's just different. I mean, Westworld got into a little of that because yeah. the robot's memory was so much different than the human's memory, which is my kind of favorite part of that. But I feel like McCoy, you know, who didn't want to go on the transporter because he wasn't sure that the transported version of him is really him. Or yeah. is it a is it a reconstituted version of him now with all those memories, but new? You know, it's like, I get that you could mind clone something with Kurzweil and put it on Google's big server. But when does your consciousness and awareness move from your body to that? I yeah. don't think it yeah. does. <laughs> I think you, it goes when you die, you know, or maybe yeah. goes into another dimension, but it's not going to be on that, on that thing. Yeah. And I really loved, yeah, the part where you were like describing the sort of debate that you had with him, right? With Kurzweil? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're sort of like, but what about the squishy stuff? <laughs> you know, and it's like, I think that's like what I was trying to get at in the blurb was like, you know, it's not just that the mindset is cruel. It's also so narrow. The complexity that is already available in humanity, like, and in the physical world, why would you be so disdainful of that and not celebrate it? A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Instead. Because I think because they're scared. And people don't really talk about it. For me, the hardest part of the book to write, the scariest part of the book to write for me was the argument with Richard Dawkins. Oh, yeah. You know, because... He's basically saying we're, we're just selfish genes. Human consciousness is basically a, an illusion perpetrated by genes to get us to extend them. You're helpless. You're nothing. Nothing going on here. You know, move, move along. Nothing to see here. And it was me and Naomi Wolf, of all people, who were arguing for there's some other kind of spiritual dimension awareness. There is more going on here. There's something to the soft, squishy, undefinable. There's something other than scientism, yeah, explaining what's going on here and meaning systems and all. And they called me a moralist. They laughed yeah. at me and her for having that. And then when I look at later, and I guess this is the part, you know, the publisher was all worried about getting sued or whatever. But when you look at the pictures of Dawkins and the other scientific scientists on Jeffrey Epstein's mm -hmm. friggin' airplane, mm -hmm. you know, they were just going to the TED conference, but Epstein loved them. You, you, You've got to realize that that scientistic, genetic, almost eugenic understanding of the world is fuel. It's candy for an Epstein who's looking for ways to justify his mistreatment of all these it's, these 14-year-old mm -hmm. female it's, because they're just flesh and genes. Who cares? 
Yeah, and the idea that he wants to sort of extend his genetic influence. Yeah, with his like superior genes. Like Genghis Khan did it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was so crazy. I think I drew a lot of exclamation points on that page. <laughs> but yeah. it's the ultimate objectification. But I do think it comes out of fear. That's why, you know, I always go back to like Francis Bacon and the early, you know, Royal Academy of Scientists talking about we're going to control nature and tame her, you know, and, 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 and hold her down and submit her to our will. It's like, what kind of dude is coming up with scientific systems as a way to contain her? You know, so what it's pretty clear what they're thinking. Women are scary. It's dark yeah. out there in the woods. There's mushrooms and wet things. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's clip it, dry it, you know, pin it yeah. and, and control it. Yeah, it's almost funny because it's like there isn't that's so hard to do, like not to say that, you know, people haven't been dominated and and then it's not exploitative, but it's like there is a aliveness on the other side that is like, you know, can't can't actually be contained like on multiple levels, you know, and yeah, I just I feel like that's such a. I don't know. It's like it's one of those things where I'm like, haven't we learned? <laughs> haven't we learned that this tactic doesn't work? I would have thought so, you yeah. know. And it's like we got to do it each time. And I guess it's because it's a new media environment. I mean, I didn't get into it much in the book, but the idea you your work is a lot about this. That the the digital realm is a symbolic world. It is, you know, what it, what the postmodernists would have talked about. It is a simulacra. It's a. It's not here. It's a symbol system. And that's why it dovetails so well with capitalism, which is, again, a symbol system used to meet out who gets what. But it's not it's not a condition on the ground. It's a set of numbers that, <laughs> yeah. that dominate what happens on the ground. So that if we have this digital realm and these guys look and go, oh, you know, digital realm, that's more to my liking. Everything's contained. Everything's quantized. Everything's here or there. Let's just use that for everything. And it, it's, it leaves us out. It, it's. Yeah. I, sorry, I keep talking about movies because my, my boyfriend and I have been on this like movie tear for the last two years. Yeah. But, the uh, COVID movie tear. Yeah. Did uh, you get Criterion Channel yet? I think we, yeah, I think we have it. Oh, it's so cool. That's like my main thing now because I watch like weird, like 1960s French cinema. Just, oh, yeah. Wow. So Where good. Where the hell was I? Where yeah, yeah. was I? You know? <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> but I watched The Truman Show. Which I uh -huh. think I saw, you know, like a really long time ago, but I rewatched it. And there's a part at the end where he says, you never had a camera inside my head. Like mm. it's it's the the very ending where like guy who's sort of overseeing and directing the whole thing is like, I've been watching you your whole life and I know you, you know, I'm omniscient. Right. And then he's like, well, you never had a camera inside my head. And I just like couldn't stop thinking about that line afterward that there's like movement that you ultimately... <laughs> ultimately everyone has agency right and there's like a movement you can make in your mind that is like not as of right now like capturable or necessarily right. predictable and and it can't be and the minute we believe that they actually did figure us out that they do have i mean those guys the same dawkins people you know the, the parties i didn't get invited to and the events and things were all these things that brockman and the edge scientists were doing about behavioral finance so behavioral finance was sort of like the psychologists and digital guys and algorithm writers effort to figure out what are the exploits in the in human in the human mind in our consciousness as if they could get inside but yeah. they they really really can't there is i i must maintain there's something inside us that they cannot 
techniques with their algorithms and probes. Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> I mean, I like the the very end of this essay that, you know, Process World, that magazine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my okay. God. I, I got them right here. For people who don't know, it was a, started in the late 80s or early 90s by these guys who were working in offices. And what they taught was workplace sabotage for the at the early computer era, like how to use magnets on a hard drive to erase what's on it. Then they can't make you work because all your data's gone. I mean, it was really <laughs> fun, slacker, revolt kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I really love it. But so Chris Carlson, who was one of the editors, he just wrote an essay like very recently I think I don't remember the name of the website. It's like Institute for Anarchist Studies or something like this. But it's kind of like a lit review of like talking about like what happened with Silicon Valley over a long period of time and then weaving into like different books like Surveillance Capitalism. And I think my book is in there somewhere. But the very end, he talks about like or he meant he's sort of paraphrasing the, you know, this idea that like, you know, now we are the product, right, of these kind of systems. But then the very last sentence is something like, but unlike oil or, you know, some other kind of resource, he's like, we can think for ourselves, can't we? And it's just like, again, it was like, it's like similar to the, like, you never had a camera in my head. Like, I'm just like, that seems like that little sliver is like so important to hang on to and to remember, like that's, that's your window of like freedom. Right. There's still the choice. And that window of freedom is what at least the people in the mindset seem so anxious to get rid of Yeah. in others and themselves. It's like, that's the whole thing. That's the whole point of being here is the surprises that surprising oneself. And it's so weird. You wonder though, if we are moving towards like total collective organism, right? If the internet, like in the early days of the internet, a lot of us thought the internet is kind of practice for realizing that we're all part of the same organism or cells and a yeah. giant collective brain. And I thought maybe all the privacy issues that we were having in the late nineties with people finding out stuff was like, well, you know, you're going to have to deal with that once everyone has telepathy and knows all what's going on anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I guess even if that happens, even if we're all cells in a different, in, in a collective organism, we're still all different cells. And this little cell is having a different felt experience than that little cell, even if we're in the same thing. Yeah, right. And it's like, that's, I mean, that's why I relied so much on ecology and how to do nothing was like, we have a perfectly good model for this that we all are familiar with, at least on right. some level is like, yeah, you know, that like the desert is not the forest. Like they're connected, but like, we can all understand that like, and there's probably some weird area in between. Right. Exactly. Just yeah. like that person, boy or girl. I was like, well, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. That's no. all good. <laughs> There's this um, species of oak tree in the Bay Area. I think it's in the Bay Area called the Engelman Oak. But it was like named after, you know, some guy named Engelman, who I remember finding this quote of his where he was in despair about how hard it is to classify oak trees because they're hybridizing all the time. It was something like we're like afloat in a sea of like hopeless possibilities or something like he was just like really upset. By how hard it was. Suicidal over his inability to classify this genus and species. Yeah. And then I was just like thinking about it from like the oak tree's perspective, like doesn't care. Like I'm an oak tree. I I really couldn't care. Exactly. I really couldn't care. You don't have a box to put me in. Oh, I'm sorry. It's like, and that was why I always talk about like, you know, what is it like for the audio engineer that wants to auto-tune James Brown? It's like- yeah. He's reaching up for the note. That's his soul. That's his life. You know, that's, you don't want to, the fact that he can't be quantized is a good thing, not a bad thing. It means that there's something ineffable and interesting. There's something going on in there 
that we can't quite put a number on. Yeah, right. And it's like, that's, I mean, I've always wondered, like, I was wondering this a lot when I was like, just, you know, throughout the book multiple times, I was like, I don't understand how someone could sort of continue on in life, like, with this assumption that it's sort of like the billiard ball, like deterministic, you know, uh, everything's going to get sorted to its proper place. Is it just the satisfaction of someday seeing that be done? Or like, because for me, it's like, that sounds like, depression to me is like like I don't you know I don't there's nothing in the future to sort of pull me forward that I that I'm curious about or that I'm going to have an encounter with that will change me and that therefore I'll grow like you know like that seems like the be I would think so but you know in speaking with them what they do then is say well if I satisfy my genetic drives then at least I'm I'm going to be optimizing for my organism's happiness so that means having as many little children look at me with faces that I recognize as having some of my genes in it, seeing my name on hospital buildings and university buildings, uh, I guess getting attention, getting mirror neurons firing, uh, oxytocin. and I guess, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And maybe, I don't know, I, I can't know what it's like to experience that but it's like that very or not the very end but the end of american psycho is like it's like there's this theme of like he can't escape right like he keeps going into like he goes into a building and it looks just like his building but it's different he gets stuck in a revolving door like everyone you know all the women in the movie are blonde and at the very end of the movie behind his head like the very last scene there's a sign that says this is not an exit there's just some like deep irony to me that like moving in this direction of getting like more and more power you're ultimately staying on a on a certain type of plane and not right. ever kind of getting into the next level of like encounter or but it's like maybe i don't know i maybe that person doesn't want encounter <laughs> yeah it's, it's just... weird though i thought about it the way that i got infected with it it, it was so well-meaning you know we're just talking about my parents before wanting me to go to an ivy league school and become a doctor my dad was raised in what we would now think of as slums, you know, in true tenement living, you know, with nine people in a little apartment and they take baths in the kitchen. I mean, the whole thing. And he always told me the story about how he lived in this bad neighborhood, but he worked hard to make money to get out of that neighborhood and raise his kids somewhere better. And that is the mindset, though. You're in a bad neighborhood. What do you do? Earn money and right, get right. out of the bad neighborhood right, right. rather than no one thinks to, oh, what about making my neighborhood better yeah. <laughs> you know, rather than escaping it? Once you are on that particular thing, it's never enough. And the further you go, I mean, that was my experience growing up. When we left Queens, which was a community, our block, really, we lived on a dead end in Queens. It was one barbecue. It was this whole thing with families all going in each other's houses. No one knew where anybody's kids were. It was just mm -hmm. a thing. We moved to Larchmont because my dad got a better job. Everyone had their own barbecue, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, cause we're richer. It's like backyard culture instead of front porch culture, however they put it. It was antisocial. So the better we did, the more extracted we got. And that was nothing compared to right, right. these guys who have islands of their own or seasteading nations. It's yeah. like reversing that. And then of course you need to earn more money to get that. So you're going to have to work really hard and. It's like the opposite. That's what I'm loving in your work, right? In the last book, it's like 
I'm inspired by slackers. That's what I was. I'm inspired by the, the what's it called? The lying down movement. Oh, lying flat. <laughs> yeah. Lying flat. Yeah. In China, where people, the young men are just like, fuck this. And <laughs> just lie down in the street and say, that's it. I'm not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. My friend just told me there's like a new version of it called Waste Away. <laughs> and he said, oh, that me, doesn't sound so good. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it sounds like very similar. It just has like images of like, like a cat, like upside down on a, like an armchair, just like, Whoa. Okay, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, my boyfriend and I were talking about the other day about like just wanting sort of the consumptive mindset, like wanting mm. wanting to buy things or wanting to immobilize and buy things. And he was telling me about this tiny sake bar that he went to in Tokyo that was like very, very small. It was run by this very fanatical guy who was just like, he's just all about sake. And it was very, you know, Japan kind of, close attention to this like one thing and my boyfriend was there with his friend and then these two people I think from Berkeley and and basically the at some point the the guy running the shop was like feeling like the atmosphere is good enough he's going to go bring out this like special bottle that he only has one of that he made of sake and he like pours it for all of them and it's like this amazing experience and one of these women was like uh how much can I buy can I buy uh maybe he had two bottles she's like can I buy a bottle of this and he says it's not for sale. And she's like, yeah, okay, but hypothetically, how much would it cost? And he's like, it's not for sale. It doesn't have a price. Right. And like, she's apparently spent the next half an hour trying to like determine the price of this thing. And it's like, and we were talking about how the irony is that actually probably what she really wants is to have the same relationship that this guy has to the sake. But the only way of like trying to get at it is by trying to ascribe a price to it, which is like the way that you kill something. <laughs> you know, right. so it's like this deep it's, tragedy. <laughs> it is a tragedy. It's like degrading the quality of the experience. Like if you have sex with somebody and they go, Well, how much would that have cost? You know, how what do you mean? Well, how much would that have cost if I were, you know, a stranger just, you know, wanted to have that experience that you just it's like that's <laughs> it's like the fact that he brought out this sake in the, with, to those people at that moment was because he felt an intimacy yeah. with them to share something. And for them to then, for even just one of them to say, well, how much, what's the number that you, that you assign to that? It's like, you didn't get what just happened between us here. Why I felt comfortable doing that. I'd like, pull, I'd take the bottle back. You know, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like, and I, I love it too, because it's like, it's not even like, it, he wasn't saying it was beyond. He wasn't saying it's beyond anything you can afford. He was saying no. that like the concept of a price is foreign to this thing. This is not, it's just fundamentally not for sale. And it's like, I just, I, I love it because it's like, there are, I love thinking about those things that are not for sale. Oh yeah. And it's American that we think it is. I remember that a friend of mine, I won't say his name. He, he wouldn't mind, but I won't. A friend <laughs> of mine from, from Institute for the Future and I were, we're in Hungary together. And we went for a meal and he wanted like the chicken or whatever with, it said, you know, chicken and rice. And he was like, can I get it with the potato instead? And the guy's like, no, that comes with rice. <laughs> and he's like, well, no, if you've got potato. You mean you could serve the veal with potato? Just, just do the potatoes instead of the rice. Put it on there. And he's like, no. And he goes, look, I'll pay extra. It's fine. And he goes, no, the chicken. <laughs> with rice <laughs> and it's this tiny place because this is that guy's he doesn't want to do the chicken with the potatoes like no that's not 
what I do. You want to get chicken, but you go somewhere else. And yeah. He said, yeah. go somewhere else. Yeah. If you want chicken with potato. And my friend's like, look, I've got, I'm the customer. I'm paying you. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's what he's like. So go somewhere else then yeah. with your customer, with your money. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is another country where to him, to the guy who's making this food and serving it, to him, it's important that it be the coherent dish yeah. that he came up with. That's what he's doing there. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. It's also like, I feel like that's a really good metaphor for just, or like analogy for like the importance of like context, right? Like, like Mm. that you can't, you know, like the different things in this dish are not like tracks on Spotify. Right. These are not interchangeable component parts. (laughs) Right. This is not a a one from column A and two from column B restaurant. This is what I do. And, but I guess the thing that was so odd about it was it was basically a bar. You know, it was not like Lutece or some crazy fine restaurant, but this man, this chef's cooks, whatever he was, bartender's concept of his place was that strong. Yeah. Right. That you don't, don't mess with this. And it, the umbrage and the disrespect he felt at people <laughs> wanting to replace that, you know, do this, then that. And like, no, this is the way I do it. It taught me so much. But you know, then, and both of these experiences are, are experiences in other countries, which is kind of why I bring them up. It's like so valuable for us to go other places and see other things. But now I'm wondering, though, I mean, I've been turning down any talk that involves air travel. Yeah. Because I'm just starting to feel like, wait a minute, why, even if I'm going to get a few thousand dollars to do this thing, I don't believe in carbon off. What does that really mean? Yeah, I'm going right. to pay. It's like, no, I really should not be spewing jet fuel. It's, it's just wrong, right? Yeah. It's just wrong. Yeah. So how do we deal with that? that? Then I was thinking, do we make it so make it? We make it rules <laughs> so that everyone gets to like have two big trips in their life. Like you do one in the high school, college age, and then you can have one when you're retired so that there's enough fuel and travel yeah. to go around. It does seem like that would be the most, I mean, I, I hate to use the word efficient, but like you, like it does seem like it's important to go when you're impressionable because I don't know. I feel like a lot of, a lot of things about like how, not to say that these don't change, but a lot of things about how you see other people and your openness to different kinds of things, like are very affected, like in your like early twenties, I would say, right. you know, or like co- college years. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, I went to Greece when I was 20 and I, I remember it's actually really funny to think about now in the context of doing how to do nothing, but I stayed for quite a while on this small island that was like kind of touristy, but not American tourists. It was seemed to be Norwegian tourists. <laughs> I don't know if it's just the month that I was there, but and the quote unquote town you could walk through in about five minutes. And I remember like just even there, um, just sitting and not doing anything was even there. And, and it was such a sleepy town. It was still seen as weird to just sit. And so I took up smoking. Because <laughs> you're doing something. Yeah, because that was legible. I was like, oh, sitting and smoking a cigarette. We understand that. And then I, I quit when I came back because I was like, yeah, I just literally only doing that because, I was sitting, <laughs> you know, but anyway, just like being somewhere where like no one spoke English, just no one except for the person I was traveling with. It's like my identity was very different. Obviously, I had to find other ways to communicate and all these things that I took for granted about myself were totally thrown into disarray and like that can be really stressful but i just feel like that's a that's a valuable experience to have if you don't want to end up in like an adulthood where you are just taking everything for granted and you were just on this track and the track never changed and now you're like at the end and you're like 
<laughs> you just filled out a bunch of boxes. Yeah. The weird thing is these, the people in the mindset have this sense that they're not on a track, but that they are entrepreneurs with original, everything is so original. It's like, this is my IP. I came up with this. It's like, and if they haven't come up with it, they won't even acknowledge it. I remember telling some of these guys, they had just like done acid or whatever and decided the environment was important and they wanted to fix it. And I said, oh, great. But they, they said, but so we're going to lead a new environmental movement. And I'm like, well, there's Extinction Rebellion, there's Sunrise Movement, there's this, there's that. It's like, well, we haven't heard of that. And if I haven't heard of it, then it couldn't be very good, could it? Yeah, that's the crucial. I was thinking about, I don't remember why I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about how I really, in general, I don't, I don't like to shame people for what they don't know. Just that in and of itself, right? There's a right. lot of reasons someone might, if it wasn't willful ignorance, I don't feel like that's something that happens on Twitter a lot. I feel like it's like people get shamed for just having found out about something. And it's like, if it's just that they just found out about something and they're currently excited to learn more about it, like, great. Like we need more yes. of those people. But it's that second part of the like, if you're like, oh, well, there's all this stuff that's been, and if you say it right in good faith, there's yeah. all this stuff that's been been done, this work that's been, and if the reaction is like, I don't care and mine's going to be better, like that's, <laughs> I think you can right. fault that. Why do you want to be 15 minutes into your new life? Why must you be the leader of this thing? So you come up with, you know, game B or the new software stack or the new eco village. It's because you play, just because you played SimCity for 30 years and now realize that the world needs something. You don't necessarily want to now just apply your SimCity knowledge to the environment. You could meet the others yeah. first. The people have been working on this problem. And not just meet the others, but also like cultivate some kind of sense of observation period, like or like a listening period, right? <laughs> An hour maybe? Two hours? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about like, you know, designers have they there's design research, right? Like, or I have a friend who's an architect and it's like this friend um had a show recent a really amazing exhibition on like sort of communal communal living situations and but it's it was literally split into two one was research of existing communal living situations everything from like very informal like a bunch of people living in a victorian to like very sort of you know larger and more systematic from the 60s forward to like you know current times that whole half was just that it was like studying like what was the balance of public to private space? Like, how did people come up with governance systems? And then only the second half was like, taking all of that knowledge, like, here are some things that we, very wildly imaginative things that we propose, you know? And I just like thought that was like a really interesting balance, like, and that that first half was the one that's, that's missing a lot of the times. And so much. Well, yeah, I mean, I teach all these, um, you know, project-based courses as well. And it's always at the beginning, okay, that's a great idea. Now, Look for what are your influences? You know, what's out there? What would you do better than what's out there? Or does someone already do it better than you're imagining it? You know, just take that time. And it's like, it's not a bad thing if you find out that somebody's done it because now you can yeah. build on it if it's your interest area. Part of what makes me so sad about these kids getting plucked, I mean, I'm sure you saw it because you were teaching like at Stanford and they get plucked. They're like 18, 19 years old and they have some idea. And then the venture capitalist grabs them, they quit school. Before their myelin sheaths are even on their frontal lobes, you know, they're <laughs> little kids transferring parental authority onto the head of Sequoia Capital or something. And no wonder they don't think about the economic externalities or the history or the sociological impact 
of the things they're doing because they haven't actually gotten educated yet. They had time to, you know what I mean? To, yeah. to think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it takes, you know, it takes a long, I feel like I'm still learning how to yeah. do that, like how to research those things. And I mean, one thing I, I do sort of sympathize with, or I think I can understand from like the inside, just reflecting on my high school experience with like a lot of these like I said, students who went on to work in tech jobs and live a very specific kind of life, it was such a hyper-competitive atmosphere that it was considered, I don't know if it was like, I would say humiliating, but like it's, you you didn't ask other people for help. You you did everything by yourself and you got mm. a good grade. And I'm still unlearning that. Like I, over the last like two books, like when I started out, I thought I had to do everything myself. And like, it did not occur to me to simply just email someone who knows about that. And not like in a, not in a like Silicon Valley, like I want to pick your brain kind of way yeah. where it's like, cause I've been the other person in, in those. And like, yeah. that still feels very extractive, but like, just, just honestly being like, I don't know. I don't know right now. I'm going to like, and I'm going to be honest about that and try to con and they might say no, but you like contact another person and be like, I'm in the dark about this thing and I'm interested in it. And I, maybe I have no right to even talk about it, but can I ask you some questions or can we have a conversation? Like, and then it's so much better, right? Everybody wins. Like, it's just, I think yeah. it's interesting that like the sort of upbringing and like the early academic experiences, like they really don't teach you how to, that they don't even put that on the table. Right. But you know, but you do it with respect. I mean, on the other end of the spectrum, I'll get an email from somebody saying, oh, I'm really interested in the uh, influence of, you know, corporatism on Silicon Valley. I see you've got a book called, you know, Throwing Rocks to the Google Bus. Tell me, what's it about? <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, <laughs> like, like, right, like you. Uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> it's like that's not the way to start, really. Yeah, you that's know? like they're like treating you like Quora, <laughs> right? Right, and I'm like, there's well, first, there's good web pages already on what it's about that you could do a Google search for. But I would think, you know, if you're if I'm going to want to like talk to Margaret Atwood about the influence of you know religion and politics in this, I better at least yeah. read. Which much is written <laughs> right. before I reach out. Right, exactly. But yeah, but 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 what you're saying is true. But then not feel like again, it's that IP thing. So many, especially I'm not gonna name names, but so many of the young technology reformers gotta put their friggin' name on everything they're doing. It's like a bunch of tech bros wake up to the fact that their that their platforms and and apps hurt people. And then they're suddenly the experts in it. It's like, dude, there's been people writing about this stuff for 20 years. You know, you don't need even me. I loved the anecdote in your book about Naomi Klein screening the social dilemma. Social in dilemma. Class. And I forget what they said. It was like the... Haven't these men ever heard of capitalism? It was like, the, yeah, like they critique everything <laughs> except for capitalism or something right. like that. Where it's like, yeah. there's like a, a glaring omission here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, because they're still invested in the companies they're critiquing. Yeah, so it's like, well, how do we unwind this without losing any money? It's like, no, you know, sorry, but if we're going to unwind, you know, digital capitalism, some of these companies' market caps are going to decline. Yeah, there's no two <laughs> ways about way it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like heartening to even hear that, like, student. Yeah, some students were that like, "That was great." Yeah. Though, well, of course, they're Naomi Klein students, yeah, so. so they're pre-treated. <laughs> Um, but, but still it's a great sign. These are kids at Rutgers who go, wait a minute. And they, and they, the fact that they're the ones who said it, not her telling them to say it, but that they're the ones who kind of went, wait a minute, they're leaving out one thing here, aren't they? Yes, they are. Good for you. Yeah. You know, so that 
that that sensitivity is nice. And the fact that, you know, I'm seeing now these, not that I'm even a socialist, but so many kids are like 20, 30% of kids are uh, interested in socialism as a, you know, <laughs> as a form of government. They're like, oh, this is, or just like 40% of people under 25. Yeah. Like, okay. So they're at least open-minded to, to other paths. I mean, I think at the very least, it's just, again, like thinking about that idea of like research and listening and like sort of patience, right? It's like, I, I think there's something it's, which is hard to cultivate in the era of social media. I was just reading in this book recently about like John Dewey's articulation of like what sort of learning and research is. And it's like, it's like this very satisfying process. The way it's described is like, you notice something is off, right? And then it's like, okay, you have to explain why is something off? And then you have to explain that. And then you have to explain that and you get like deeper and deeper and you might find uh, this like fundamentally sort of constitutive problem <laughs> that like, and then like learning represents the sort of process of like resolution of that and to, and to a situation that now like makes sense. Oh, that's great. That, you know, I could, I could say that's the process I had with every single book I've written. They yeah. always start, I'm in a situation like here, I'm with these guys, the most powerful, wealthiest people I've ever been with. And they're in a panic that I'm not right? Mm-hmm. They feel utterly powerless to influence the future. And I'm like, okay, what's wrong with this picture? Or, yeah. you know, the, uh, another big book I wrote was, uh, uh, it started because I got, I got mugged in front of my uh, apartment uh, when I was living in Brooklyn. And I posted about it. I wrote it about it in this book too. I, I posted about it on the Park Slope parents list that, hey, I got mugged at this address. And I got two angry emails from people who were pissed off that I said where I got mugged because it could negatively affect their <laughs> property value. And I'm like, oh, something's wrong here. But you're right that you see something. This is off. This is, hmm. And yeah. it, that's what opens up the, in, the if you do it honestly, that yeah. opens up real research, real input. Yeah. You know, I think about the difference between, you know, when I went to college and and kind of like current college students, like what you're describing, I, I sort of wonder if it's like, how long can you go <laughs> with things being deeply off before you have to go there, right? Like you have like cosmetic fixes are not satisfying to you anymore. Young people are not stupid. It's like maybe when I was in college, like, I don't know, I definitely was aware that, you know, all is not as it seems or whatever, right? But it seems like that awareness, even like my own students, I remember like, it seemed much more heightened. And it was much more like, I'm not going to keep, I cannot continue living a lie. And so it's like, well, if I want to actually answer this question, like if you want to answer a question about income inequality, you want to answer a question about like, why can't I, you know, achieve the American dream? Like any, any of these questions, right. They're all going to sort of lead you into an area that like, maybe you didn't initially set out to go, but that's where you have to go. Right. But the questions are destabilizing. It's interesting. It used to be, the left that asked these kinds of questions, question authority, question, you know, and now I feel like the left has been kind of painted into a corner of trying to defend status quo reality against the people who are questioning it, which is the right, do the research. So they're questioning, but they're not using the right resources yeah. to answer their questions. Right, right, they're, right. they're doing research, but they haven't been quite trained in evaluating the reality of the research. Yeah, right. There's some like literacy, media literacy stuff. I mean, there's that really amazing documentary on uh, the Flat Earthers. It was like quite a while ago Mm. where, yeah, they kind of, there's, there's an amazing scene where there's like a Flat Earth convention taking place like down the block from like a, a meeting of like scientists and a guy is like giving a speech at the scientist conference and he's like, 
he's it's quite gracious of him actually he's like you know the people down the block are not that different from us they just have questions he's like they're they're not using the right resources and they're not coming to the to the right conclusions but like there is that you know but yeah it is uh right like that that idea of like question everything has become is a different thing now <laughs> i remember so like when i was in fifth grade we were supposed to do um science experiments, come up with science experiments, you know, in class. And I came up with an experiment because I wanted to launch one of my STs model rockets as my experiment. So I decided what I would do is calculate the speed at which the earth is turning by shooting a rocket up, timing how long it's in the air and measuring the the distance it's traveled when it lands must be how much the earth (laughs) turned. And the thing is the teacher let me do it. And I'm glad. I remember it was like Miss Spillman or something. She let me do it, even though it's crazy because I wasn't taking like wind into account or anything. And but I did it and tried to do all the math, you know, to yeah. figure out how big is the planet and how much is it spun and is it. That's like the sweetness, the sweetness of science that needs to be encouraged. I mean, yeah, you can in the aftermath, you could say, well, do you think the wind had anything to do with it? Do you think the atmosphere travels with the Earth as it goes around? You know, you, you know, you could ask the questions later, but. It's that sweet spirit of inquiry. And I feel like the scientists you're talking about probably were saying, you know, those people down the block, they're using the science muscle. Yeah. They just, they're like us. They are like us. You yeah. know? And that's, again, red state, blue state, QAnon, Bernie, whoever you are there. I get it. I'm so there. It's just, there are such nefarious, again, on both sides, there are such nefarious people. There are these Bannons who are so willing to exploit yeah. the 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 hunger for truth from you know these poor people yeah that um oh it's very frustrating yeah i mean that's the other reason i feel like that that sliver like the sliver of you know like we would call it like thinking for yourself right like is also important for that reason right just to kind of like ground someone to have like some kind of healthy skepticism i don't know but it's like again that's the other thing that it just seems like it's so influenced by like who you're around and and then if you're like if you have like a direct sort of like drip via social media it's like good luck (laughs) yeah and it's also it's reality tv i mean this was all fine when it was fantasy because then you could speculate you know (laughs) in a in a safe zone of fiction you know, when it's supposedly, you know, the Clintons with a spaceship that has children on it or something, you know, it's just like, really, <laughs> you don't need to go there. But you listen to, you know, this is a good way to end. You listen to the claims of the tech billionaire survivalists. The people who take those claims at face value are the Q people. If you believe that they can really get off the planet, that they can really use nano to do something to change all of our psyche, that we are, are, are that our DNA is, is as programmable as a, you know, Mac classic, then, um, sure. Um, then I would be a Q too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the encounter. I feel like the idea of the encounter is important both for the, the reason that like that's how you know that you're alive and you grow, but it's also like, I think it's what corrects against that. Right. It's like you could, if you spend enough time alone or in a very insular community, like you could believe anything. Right. I mean, I even think about like myself, like sometimes just individually, right? Like I'll be very extremely worried about something in an unreasonable way all day. I'll get very far down that road. And then like at the end of the day, I'll tell someone they're like, well, that's just not going to happen. Or that might happen, but it's not going to happen like this catastrophe that you're describing. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Like, you know, it's just like this, like, cr- like sudden like correction. And it's like, 
like I feel like that's part of what you get from knocking into like these other perspectives that you give some respect to and like some weight to and like that's the real danger of like of this like sort of isolation individualist like have everything delivered mindset is that like you you could end up somewhere very weird I mean it sounds like that's already happened right <laughs> right but right you end up somewhere weird that's why you know back to team human that's why you've got to find the others and have real face-to-face i thou you know levinos encounters yeah. with the other yeah and then and that's the really maybe the only way to uh, uh to ground in uh in in the real world rather than one level removed yeah totally <laughs> i feel that <laughs> Well, thank you, Jenny. Thanks so much for engaging with me about my stuff, but engaging with me on the occasion of my launch. It means a lot to me. And, and it meant so much to me that you, that you read and got this. It was like, you're, 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 you've been a great inspiration to me over these, over these past four or five years. And, uh, I don't think I would have, I don't think I would have written this had, it, had you not existed. Oh, I don't think you. I would have. <laughs> I really don't. I know. I feel I'm in, I'm in conversation. I'm in conversation with some other people too, yeah. but I'm definitely in conversation with you. And this is, and, and it's so much better <laughs> than to not. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for being there and what you do. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for being on Team Human. My guest and host today was Jenny O'Dell, the multimedia artist and author of How to Do Nothing which you should learn how to do. You can find out more about her work at JennyOdell.com. You can get my brand new book, Survival of the Richest, at any bookstore or public library. I also did an audio version with recorded books. Team Human is produced by Josh Chaplin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.